love that we have for other people and to be a comfort. The first funeral that I ever remember going to, I was about 10 years old, and a man in our church had died. And about four people spoke, and every one of them said something along the same lines, uh, how sad it was that he died so young. And then the next person would go up, and it's just, it's just so bad to see when a person dies young. And I gotta tell you, I was thoroughly baffled as I was sitting there listening, my 10 year old self. The man was like 44 years old when he passed away. And I was thinking to myself, honest, I was sitting there thinking, young. I mean, he was 44 years old when he died. Why would anyone want to live longer than that anyway? What kind of a quality of life can you expect after 44 years old? That's what I was thinking then. Of course, as you can imagine, my thinking has changed since then quite a bit. Years later, one of the men in our church died, and Dad and my younger brother went. And uh, Kevin, of course, knows my younger brother, Orly. He's uh, he was a serious, nosy, get-into-trouble weasel type of brother and uh he was always getting himself into trouble and he was so here they were at the funeral visitate at the visitation and while dad's talking to some people he goes exploring and uh i should say the man that was in our church uh, had passed away was laying there in the casket and he had his one uh electric blue suit on that he always had his one good suit that he always wore to church and so my brother's exploring the, the uh, funeral home and he goes to one of the rooms he shouldn't have been in and he saw hanging on the wall a hanger with a pair of electric blue pants on it. You following me? Alright, so he runs back to my dad. He's all upset. His eyes are really big. Dad, dad, they're, they're stealing his pants. And I don't know if that's common for funeral homes to do or not. But uh, you never know what a funeral will bring. Amen? And so... Today we're looking at a funeral. Jesus showed up. When Jesus showed up at a funeral he attended, he messed up every funeral he ever attended, including his own. You do not want him at your mother-in-law's funeral. You know, as soon as I said that, I probably should not have, because mother-in-laws are wonderful, especially you, Mom Hall. She often watches. I think she's awesome. Uh, But today we're going to see him do an amazing work and as we look at the story of Lazarus, we're going to begin at the tomb and then we'll have a flashback and look at some different things and then we'll see what happened after, which is really going to be the focus of our uh, story today. So I hope, uh, hope you have no plans for today. We're uh, starting a little later and uh, we'll just uh, go until we're done. Is that okay? I'll have you out by one, I promise. All right, let's start reading at verse number 43 of John chapter 11. When he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus! Come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men shall believe on him. Oh, no. Go over to chapter 12, verse number 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed 
on Jesus. I want to preach today for a few minutes on when dead men live. When dead men live. Thank you, Father, for this time that we have. I pray that you'd give us in the next few minutes here clarity from the Scriptures. Help me to say only those things which would be uh, would, would, would be duly desired by you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to pick up the story here at the graveside. When Jesus comes, and I think we're all somewhat familiar with the story of Lazarus, so Jesus is at the graveside, and he says in a loud voice, well, first he tells them, take ye away the stone. I find that interesting. The gravestone, the graves there, they were actually multiple dwelling graves. They had different uh, sections for different members of the family, and and not to be uh, grotesque, but as the bodies decayed, they would then literally box up those bones, clearing the place for another family member. And so many, many people could go through these graves and they would be covered with a heavy stone to stop grave robbers and, of course, people bothering your family. And so he asked them to remove the stone. Now, why didn't Jesus do it? Well, um, uh, Jesus doesn't ask or doesn't come to do what we can do. He comes to do what we can't do. And so essentially when he tells them to move away the stone, he's saying, I'm, I've not come to do what you can do. I've come to do what you can't do because if you do what you can, I will do what you can't with you. that a blessing? We see that all throughout the New Testament because it's important. And many of us could use the same message today. Uh, many of us are, sometimes we sit around waiting for God to do something in our life and for us Meanwhile, we're not faithful doing what we can do for God. So stop sitting on the couch, eating Cheetos, watching the Kardashians, waiting for God to do something. In fact, stop watching the Kardashians if you're doing such a weird thing. Uh, just stop. And because, well, just stop. If you need a reason, we need an intervention here later. But my point is, you do what you know. You do what you can. You be faithful to church. You be faithful in the Word of God. You be faithful in giving and you watch God show up. And he said, so Jesus said, take you away the stone. Now I like what Martha said. Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. I read this passage, uh, on this passage, I was reading different things about it. And I read one uh, history about a superstition that existed at this time that uh, the, not necessarily saying Lazarus and his family believed it, but many people in that time did, uh, to where the spirit of the departed would basically hang around, would hover above the grave for three days, uh, hoping to be reunited with the body. And if uh, by the fourth day, uh, decay had set into the body, it was too late, the spirit would depart. Now, I haven't read that before, and I don't know if that's all true, but uh, they what the point that they're making here is Jesus waited until the problem was irreversible, and then he showed up on the scene. Can I tell you today, friend, God loves to show up in your life when the problem is absolutely irreversible, there's nothing that can humanly be done, and then he comes in and works a miracle. What a blessing. So this is the fourth day. Now, he stands at the side of the grave there and he says the words, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was dead. Uh, I have my... I don't think he was laying on something this comfortable, but uh, I have my simulation of Lazarus as he's laying in the grave. Lazarus, remember, is dead. He's been dead four days. The Bible says that he has begun to decay. And so that his... His body is actually in a 
point of decomposition. And he's laying here. The Bible says he is wrapped up. He has a face. Uh, he has a napkin over his face. He's completely like a mummy covered up. And Jesus outside there says, Lazarus, come forth. Now imagine along with me, Lazarus, as breath enters his body. He's covered up and wrapped up. And, but the command wasn't just to become alive. The command was to come forth. And so now, he's bound. Remember, the Bible says he's bound because he's later told to unbound him. Can I tell you, salvation's the same way. Sometimes when you are saved, you're, you're not unbound, but you're, you're alive, but you're not quite unbound yet. Sometimes the clutches of sin are upon us so that it's a process for us to become unbound in that sin. Amen? Anybody with me on that? So, so here's Lazarus. Jesus says, come forth. Somehow, he works his way over, and I don't know if he has to hop, or if he can kind of go to the edge of the tomb there, and he's standing. Now, everyone around him has their mouths open, as you can imagine. Never seen anything like this before. And Lazarus standing there, you know, wrapped up, napkin around the face. Uh, hello? You know, he didn't know where he was, probably. You know, I mean, what he just knows he's completely tied up and wrapped up. So Jesus tells them to do the obvious. Hey, someone go and let him loose. Somebody uh, go and loose. Actually, his exact words were loose him and let him go. It's almost as if Jesus said, I didn't wrap him up. I told you I'd show up. Told you I'd be here. Go and let him go. You see, a lot of times in our life, we treat Jesus' delays like denials. That's what the sisters did. Lord, if you'd have only come. And we treat a delay of... In fact, let's go back, if we can, in John chapter 11. And uh, let's look at what happened here uh, when, when he was called. Look at verse number 1. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Look at verse number 3. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest, is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had therefore or heard therefore that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now there's quite a bit to unpack here, but first of all, I love the basis of the appeal. Look at what they say to Jesus. Now, they did not send message to Jesus. Lord, as you know, we've hosted you a number of times. We've uh, put a roof over your head. We've uh, given you a place to stay when you uh, go through Bethany or this area. We've fed you meals. And i got to tell you, food prices are up under this current administration. And, and uh, we've done all these things for you. Now, we need a favor. No, you see, this was not payback for anything. They simply said, He whom thou lovest is sick. Uh, if Jesus does something for you in your life, it will not be because you deserve it. It will be because He loves you. He loves you. What a blessing. By the way, Jesus loved him and he still got sick. Did you know that those that love Jesus and those that Jesus loves can still get sick? Uh, problems can come into that. Don't ever doubt the love of God in your life because something bad happens to you. There's a nugget here too I want you to see. You're familiar with multiple words uh, specifically for love, but 
There's multiple words in the Greek language sometimes for a single, uh, for a single English word. Uh, I think we've all, ta- I've talked about this before and actually I've never given this illustration with another Amish speaking person in the audience and now I have one so I hopefully we'll get this right. But it's a common thing in the Amish language as well, my first language. And, uh, for example, the word eat has several different meanings in the Amish language where we only have one word for eat in English. If you take, if you're, uh, Essa, Essa is the word for people, as people eat. We would refer to any people eating as Essa. If you have animals, cows, hogs, teenagers, that is, that is Fressa. Alright, you get the idea of a hog slurping up, slopping, and so, uh, there's Fressa and there's Essa. There's two words, not English, they both eat, but we can see further definition in a different language. This is what's happening here in this passage because in the original word language, the word love here, these two loves are different original words. It's interesting. Now, <clears throat> there's ten different words in the Greek language for love, but three are commonly used in the Bible. There is eros, eros, basically where we get our word erotic from. It's a romantic love. There's phileo, that's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's what phileo is. It's just a brotherly type love. And then there's agape, which is unconditional love. Here love is used twice and it's a different original word. He whom thou lovest is phileo, uh, to be fond of is what that word means. So essentially in our vernacular today, hey Jesus, your buddy is sick. Your friend is sick. But then in verse 5 it says, now Jesus loved them. This is agape. The highest form of love in the Bible. God's love. Unconditional, sacrificial, perfect love. So here it says basically to me, He loves them more than they know. He loves them more than they love Him. And you know what that brings? The, the, uh, then it brings delay, or we see delay, because right after He says that, He heard therefore He was sick. He abode two days. So He loved them. And then he waited. It seems here that the Bible seems to infer anyway that it was because he loved them that he delayed. His delay is connected to his love for them. God's delays do not mean denial. He'll show up right on time. Now, why did he need to delay? I, I assume there's some, I know he had a reason. I have an opinion. I think he needed Lazarus to be really dead. Really dead. Not like uh, that movie where Miracle Max says, your friend is not dead, he's just mostly dead. All right? He didn't want Lazarus mostly dead. He wanted Lazarus all the way dead. Completely dead. And in his love, he delayed giving them more than they hoped for. Because you see, friend, they're looking for restitution and he gave them resurrection, which is more than they expected in the first place. See, this miracle separates Jesus' other works, separates him from his other works here. Because uh, he had done this before. He had raised Jairus' daughter. He had raised the son of the widow of Nain. But both of them had just died. Uh, the, here, decomposition has set in here. Somebody might look at those other stories, especially as they're separated by a generation or told to a, to a, uh, to, told and retold and retold that, 
you know, maybe they weren't really dead. Maybe they were just in a coma. Maybe they were in a deep sleep. You can't say that about Lazarus because he stinketh. He's decomposing. He's been in there for four days. And so I think one reason that Jesus delayed is that Lazarus needed to be really dead. Really, really, really dead. Now back to our story. Lazarus is freed. <coughs> he's he's standing here and, and they're unwrapping him and they're taking the napkin off and he's being freed. And <coughs> I can't imagine what's going on in his mind. I mean, last thing I remember, I was in bed. Uh, this doesn't seem like bed. Uh, and so they're, op- they're unwrapping him. I think this is a great picture of life and freedom. You need Jesus Christ to wake you up out of the deadness of your trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. But after that, friend, you need people to help you get free from the bondage that has been part of you for so long. You know, just because we're alive doesn't necessarily mean we're immediately free. Sometimes that's a process and God works. Sometimes it takes years for people to get to the point where they can overcome certain sins. You need other people to help you get free. Listen, friend, you're not going to make it as the Lone Ranger. You need people. You need to get around the people of God. You need to get into a local church. Listen, the Lone Ranger didn't even do it alone. He had Tonto. Amen? My favorite story with the Lone Ranger and Tonto is when they were riding along one day and they get go into a canyon. And then all of a sudden, they're completely surrounded by Indians. Front, they're surrounded by the, in the front, in the back, and on the edges of the canyon, they're lined up all along there. There's no escape. They're completely surrounded. And to Tonto, the Lone Ranger says, Tonto, what are we going to do? And Tonto said, what do you mean we, white man? Uh, sometimes it, there's friends like that. And, but we need people around us, don't we? We need people to help us, alongside us, and all that to say, you need the local church in your life. So here's Lazarus. He's been brought back from the dead, from a decaying body. I see something in verse 45 that amazes me. Look with me along, along with me at chapter 11, verse 45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. What's up with that word many? It should say all, shouldn't it? Many? You would think, at this point, everyone would say, all right, you got me. I'm convinced that's him. He's got to be the Messiah. He's got to be the Son of God. I mean, this man was decaying, and he raised him from the dead. I've had my doubts in the past. I've thought maybe he is, maybe he isn't, but... Those doubts are gone now. Now I believe. But no, it doesn't say that. It says many believed on him. This shows the absolute hardness of the human heart. And by the way, uh, that, that, that someone could see a, a dead man raised and still not believe, that refutes the argument. <coughs> if God would only show himself, if God would just prove that he's there, if he would... Uh, reveal himself, then I would believe. No, you wouldn't. He did reveal himself. He did show himself. He did prove who he was. And only many believed. Many did not. What a tragedy uh, that uh, even though he proved it, it did not help unbelief. Verse 46, 
records what anybody who serves God knows. Verse 46, But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Every time you do something for God, there's going to be somebody standing on the sideline critical of you. It happens every time. A critic is a nobody doing nothing, condemning a somebody doing something. And the world is full of critics. Uh, We've got some people uh, that are standing by the side here. They've seen this man that was in the grave for four days. They've seen him hop to the door. They've seen somebody take off his wrapping. And now Lazarus is sitting there or talking to people and and having conversations. And their response is, I can't believe it. How dare he do something like that? That's just unacceptable. I'm going to go tell a Pharisee. And off they run to the Pharisees. I just... <laughs> that's something when somebody gets upset over something good. Something that good happening. So they run off to the Pharisees. I want to read verse number 47. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man hath done many, uh, doeth many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. We can't have that. He's not one of us. They had another concern. Look at the rest of the verse. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. So uh, what their concern was here, that if, if somebody comes in and takes control of the people, then they could lead in some kind of revolt, and the Romans would come and crush us all. So they're worried about that. This is where Caiaphas shows up. In verse 49, you know nothing at all. In other words, in our vernacular, you guys don't know what you're talking about. This is what he says. What he goes on to say, we don't have to suffer for this. We don't have to die. We got to make sure that he dies. And what he's essentially saying is we need to throw Jesus to the wolves and that will accomplish two things. We get to see the one we hate killed and it will get the Romans off our backs. But look what the Bible says in verse number 50. Or verse number 51, And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Without even realizing it, this secular religious priest prophesied. Uh, he gave one of the greatest statements of substitutionary atonement. He prophesied that Jesus would not only die for his nation, but verse 52, he'll die for everyone in the whole world and uh, give his life as a ransom for many. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, they can't have that. So verse 53, they put out an arrest warrant of sorts for him. They basically put out some wanted posters, and if you see this man, call 1-800-BITTER-PHARISEE, or whatever it was. Uh, Give us a call if you see this man. And now we get into chapter 12, and somebody did call the hotline. I've seen him. He's at Lazarus' house. And this is where Mary poured that expensive ointment on the feet of Jesus and dried it with her hair. We're not going to read the whole story, but I'm sure you've read that before. Off to one side, Judas gets upset about it. He's, he's upset because that could have been sold. By the way, what did I tell you a few minutes ago? Every time you do something for Jesus, somebody go me on the sideline. In fact, when you attempt great things for God, you're going to hear two voices. 
You hear the voice of Judas off to one side. She took presumably what is the most valued possession of hers and came and offered it to Jesus. She was showing her love and devotion to her Savior. And immediately she heard the first of the two voices. <sighs> Why'd she do that for? We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. I like how John is writing this. And uh, it says, it's interesting to me, verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. John's writing this in his 90s, years later. And John's looking back. I still remember what he did. He was a thief. And so, here uh, he's, he's one of those two voices. And she gave everything that she could. And he gives that criticism. I can promise you, friend, every time you do anything great for God, you can expect this voice. A voice of disapproval, disdain, and criticism. But can I tell you, friend, there's always a second voice that comes behind it. And that's when Jesus said, leave her alone. Another place he said she had done what she could. Leave her alone. What a blessing. Hey, it's always better to have the approval of God than it is the approval of men. Amen? It's always better. The approval of men has conditions attached to it. But uh, do what you can to serve your Savior. Uh, do all that you can and give all of yourself to Him. Let Him have every part of you. And when you do, there may be voices disparaging you, trying to discourage you. Ignore them. Listen to the voice of the one who really matters. Listen to the one who get, tell, you know, I want to hear, well done thou good and faithful servant, from one person, not from everybody else. Live, to leave, live a life to please the audience of one. There's another interesting thing about this criticism, if you'll notice. The last one we talked about just a few minutes ago came from the world. The Pharisees talking about Jesus unsaved, worldly. Here it came from one of Jesus' own people. Can I tell you what will happen if you sell out for God? Can I tell you what will happen if you give everything to Him? You're going to hear discouragement and criticism from both outside these walls and from inside these walls. We have got to put our focus on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only, and that will help us to keep on the right trail. But I want to get to the crux of my message here. Verses 9 through 11 of chapter 12. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went with him <coughs> and believed on Jesus. That is some messed up logic. Look at it. Walk with me through this reasoning of theirs. This is all Lazarus' fault. Why, what did Lazarus do? Lazarus had the audacity to die. That's what Lazarus did. That's all he did. He just died. And So this is all his fault. What did Lazarus do? He just died. What did Jesus do? He got him up. And then what do they say they need to do? They need to kill Lazarus. Why? I guess he shouldn't have gotten up. That's all he did, right? Jesus called him and he got up. The insane hatred of the human heart. But I've got a few more questions. If I uh, may put them on the witness stand and I'll be the prosecuting attorney or the, the whatever I need to be here. Uh, but I'd like to ask them a few questions. You're upset because a dead man is alive. Yeah, yeah, we need to kill him. Alright, you didn't have a problem with his first life? No, no, we were fine with him then. But you have a problem with him now that Jesus has raised him up for his second life? Yeah, now, now we gotta kill him. You see, it did not bother us 
when he lived, uh, when he lived with his first life that he got from his mom and dad, that didn't bother us at all. But this life, you see, this life was given to him by Jesus Christ, and we don't like that at all. Now he's got to die. So the conclusion is that they hate him, not only for being alive, but the way he is alive. How he is alive. Because they didn't care before whether he was alive or not. Can I tell you today, friend, the devil is not bothered when you are born. You're born in sin. You already belong to him when you're born. The Bible says in Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man, that's Adam, uh, sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passeth on all men, because all men have sinned. So, you're already his when you're born. But it's when you're born again. It's when you become a possessor of eternal life. Now, he has a problem with it. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed, praise the Lord, from death to life. And it's amazing to me that they came to the conclusion we got to kill him. Again, I would just like to offer some advice to him to, to not let him get too embarrassed. He already did die once and it didn't stick. You think they could outdo Jesus? No, but that's not part of the story. That's just conjecture. By the way, what was Lazarus doing? What was he doing that upset him so? Was he on 60 Minutes telling the world about everything that happened to him and his experiences? Was he cranking out his channel on YouTube and putting videos out talking about everything that he experienced? No. The Bible says here, verse 2, there they made him a supper. And by the way, this settles the debate. We have it at my house all the time. The final meal of the day, supper or dinner, is biblical. It's supper, okay? Get over it and stop calling it the wrong thing. We like to go by the Bible here, amen? All right, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Lazarus was just eating supper, enjoying a meal with his family and with Jesus. Here he was. He was sitting at the table, and he was witnessing but he wasn't saying a word. By the way, search your New Testament. At no place ever does Lazarus say one word. That's recorded for us. He doesn't speak. Jesus does all his speaking for them. Lazarus is just exhibit A of what Jesus Christ can do. And so he, as an example of a resurrected life, a transformed life by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he is a witness because sometimes your witnessing is not so much what you do as what you are. A life brought to life by Jesus Christ. A life transformed. And they see this and they say, we got to kill him. we got to kill him. This can't stand him all living and stuff. we got to kill him. And so this is what they come to. Can I tell you today, friend, you don't have to do anything for the enemy to hate you. You don't, all you have to do is just be a child of God. Be a, be a, alive in Christ, trying to serve Jesus. Don't be surprised when the enemy does not like you. Don't be surprised when they want to take you out. <coughs> the enemy basically says, hey, I didn't care when they were born. Could have cared less about their life. But after they were born again, now they're a problem. And you will become a problem to the enemy. If you let, if you live the resurrected life, if you do what God wants you to do. See, all you have to do is give your life to Christ and you're going to put a big old target on your back. First Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may offend. No, no, no. 
seeking whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. Why? Because you're living the resurrected life. You're a child of God. That's all it takes. He wants to destroy you. Our best witness is a life transformed by Jesus Christ. Your best witness is not what you do, but what he has done for you and what he will do through you. Amen. Now, i got three points and then we'll close for the day. All right? Uh, really quickly, there's, there's three likenesses between us and Lazarus that I want to point out here uh, very quickly. Number one, we were dead. If you're a child of God, by the way, this applies to you. If you're not, uh, you can fix that today before you leave. Amen? Uh, here it is. We were dead. Now we're alive. John 11, 11. These things said he after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of the sleep. His disciples, being a little thick-headed, said, Oh, good, he's sleeping. That's a good sign. So Jesus, again, the next verse in verse 14, Jesus said unto them plainly, Hey, guys, knuckleheads, Lazarus is dead. Okay, he says it plainly. Lazarus was dead until Jesus showed up. Now, I don't know how long Lazarus had lived in Bethany. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe all of his life. As far as we know, he's always been a good guy. Probably went to synagogue. Probably did the things that good Jewish boys do. But now he is a follower of Christ. His home has become a center where the Lord Jesus was welcome to stop by any time. He knew Jesus personally. But nobody ever made the two-mile trip from Jerusalem to see him because he was a believer in Christ. Follow me now. Nobody ever crossed the Kidron Valley or climbed Olivet to see Lazarus, a Jesus follower. But now, in verse 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not only for Jesus' sake, they came to see Lazarus. What made the difference? Now he's living a resurrected life. He was dead. Now he's alive. That's a pretty big deal, amen? That's a big deal. And so until that point, Lazarus had been a genuine believer, even a committed believer, but no one crowded to see him before. Now, by virtue of the life that he was living, he made a big impact. As far as we know, he did not go to Bible college. He did not get up on a milk crate and start preaching. He simply lived a resurrected life. And people came from all over to see the miracle of that resurrected life. Can I ask you, friend, do people around you know that you were once dead and now you're alive? That's a pretty amazing testimony. I was dead, but now I'm alive. You know what the secret to Lazarus' new life was? For years, he followed Jesus. He wanted to do right. He loved his family. He did the right things. Then one day he died. He died to everything, to everyone. The old Lazarus was very dead, as we mentioned. Jesus waited two days, putting him in the grave for four. Here's the thing. Everyone knew it. Everyone knew he was dead. <coughs> he died. He was buried. <coughs> he came to an utter end of himself. Then Jesus came and gave him new life, resurrected life. Everything was different now because of the life that Jesus gave him. That life came for, from Christ. Lazarus did nothing to make it happen. And the same is true in salvation. You, you know, a lost person, you might be sitting here today thinking this in your mind. You know what? I'm just going to try to do the best I can. I'm going to try to do as much good as I can. I'm just trying to serve do the things, uh, obey the Ten Commandments the best that I can and, and just uh, hopefully I'll uh, get, get the keys to heaven and God will let me in because of the life I'm living. That is just as ridiculous as a dead person sitting in a casket saying, you know, I'm going to work really hard to improve on my deadness. It, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's not going to happen. 
He's dead. We're dead in trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13 And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven all your trespasses. You may have lived a life, friend, obeying all the rules, doing all the right things, or uh, listening to the catechisms and learning the different uh, sacraments and doing all these different things. But as Jesus said, when He looked eyeball to eyeball with the most religious person in all of Jerusalem, Nicodemus himself, and He says, hey, listen here, you must be born again. Religion's not going to help you. What you do is not going to get you there. You must be born again. What is that talking about? It's talking about a resurrected life. Amen? The way that Lazarus was. There's something intoxicating about a person who's living the resurrected life. One who has died to the old life and is now living for eternity. And can I remind you also, what Jesus did for Lazarus is simply a a preview for coming attractions, friend. You know, one day, Jesus Christ is going to walk up to your grave if the Lord tarries, and He's going to say, come forth. When's He going to do that? Well, at the rapture. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord Himself should ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. What will He shout? The Bible doesn't tell us. Could be, come forth. I don't know. But uh, He's going to make that shout, and we're going to rise up with Him. What a blessing. We are dead, now we're alive. We were bound, now we are free. Is the second point. We we were bound, now we are free. John chapter 11, verse 44, And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto him, Loose him and let him go. Lazarus was alive, but he was still bound. We can, we would do good to realize, friends, that all, not all newly saved people are completely free. Uh, we, the stink of sin may still be upon them. Addictions might still be clinging to them. And as we bear their burdens, and as we grow in Christ and help others do so, as the Lord endues us with power to defeat sin, and sometimes that is a time effort. Doesn't happen overnight. And we can say with Paul in Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free, and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. But, you know, Lazarus was alive before he was free. A lot of Christians are. Let us have some patience with them. Amen? Because you were there one time. Maybe you are there right now. And I've been there. We need that help from each other and that encouragement. Are you in bondage today, friend? You can be free. But don't try to do it on your own. Recently I was talking to somebody about church things and, and uh, the, this person told me sometimes uh, I feel like a hypocrite every time I go to church because of how often I fail the Lord. And so I don't go to church much just because I feel like a hypocrite when I do. And this is the illustration I usually give back when somebody says something like that. What if I told you this, that I had a doctor's appointment set but then Weird thing, I got sick, and so I canceled it. And what I'll do is I'm really going to work. I'm going to take some vitamins, I'm going to eat healthy, eat carrots and all the horrible other things, and I'm going to try to make myself better. And as soon as I get well, when I get all healthy, I'm going to make that doctor's appointment again. That's silly, isn't it? Absolutely silly. That would be crazy. The whole point of the doctor is to help fix our body that needs some help getting back to where it needs to be. 
And our church is not a showroom where we model all the perfect people and let everybody come and show their own perfection. Else we wouldn't let Brother West come if that was the case. Uh, the Bible Baptist Church is a hospital for sinners. Amen? This is a place where people can come and get some help. We want to lift them up. We want to help them. We should never, ever, ever look down our nose at someone who's struggling in some way. If you messed up, that's all the more reason to be here and to get some help from the Word of God. Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. You need the Word of God in the church of God to help you grow into the child of God that you need to be. Number last here. We were without a seat, but now we're seated. We were without a seat, but now we're seated. John chapter 12, verse 2. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now here's a deep, deep, deep truth. You can't eat if you're dead. You all got that? But he's not dead. He's sitting there at the table. Lazarus has been given new life. And he's seated with Christ. Can I tell you, friend, this is true of every Christian as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm grateful I have a heavenly place to sit today. I imagine the wonder of this truth that God has seated us on His glorious throne in Christ. We are already seated where He is. Christ, uh, God has wrapped us in Christ so that when He sees us, what He sees is the perfection and the righteousness of His Son. Oh, it's an amazing spiritual truth. When God looks at us, He sees Christ and all the beauty of His holiness. We're like the boards in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Rough, gnarled, knotty wood that they hewed out, but then they covered it with gold, and you can't see that wood anymore. And so when people looked at the boards, all they saw was the gold. They didn't see the stuff that was underneath. And that same is true of us. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus Christ because we are clothed, the Bible says, in His holiness because we don't have any holiness to give Him. Where it's just the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers become the children of God and share in Christ's inheritance. Hallelujah. You are seated at the table with the King. A pretty impressive thing, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. Are you living a resurrected life? Do people recognize in you that you were dead, but Jesus has now given you life? Could it be said of you the way it was of Lazarus? Because that by reason of me, by reason of the Corey, or insert your name, many believed on Jesus. Oh, I hope that's to be said of me. You have an enemy that hates you, but you have a Savior that loves you so much that He died for you. And He loves you that much that one day you can pass as well from death to life. Now, most of us in here have probably made that decision in our life We have accepted Christ as our personal Savior. We've passed from death to life. Then my question for you is, are you living it? Are you living it? Lazarus didn't have to say anything. He was a testament to the fact that Jesus, he had given him life, been dead. If you're here today, friend, and say, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Well, you can today. That can all change before you leave. Because when dead men live, they make an impact. When dead men live, they make a difference for God. When dead men live, people take notice. 
right? Before he died, nobody took notice of Lazarus. After he died and was raised, everybody took notice. Because when dead men live, they make an impact. How about you, friend? Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed.